Is it possible that's what depression is? A refusal to acknowledge reality, to face the truth of the way things are because you don't want it to be that way. But which is worse? Suffering the depression of holding on to what you wish they would be instead. Or experiencing the same situation without depression. How does depression improve things? You still have to deal with reality eventually. And what is that ultimate reality? That we're not the depression, we're the awareness of it. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name's Michael Benner, and this is the Wisdom of the Soul, brought to you by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're near Palm Springs, California, which uh, a week ago was very wet, <laughs> I must say. But uh, we survived, we've dried out, and uh, everything is good again. And the desert really seemed to enjoy the water. Everything perked up. All the plants seemed to be happy. So I hope the weather is fair where you are and that you're happy, especially since today we're going to focus on depression. We're at about 75 or 76 classes in a row. And it took us to this point to get to the topic of depression. Something that we all know an experience that everyone experiences. Well, there's a redundancy, huh? An experience we've all experienced uh, on countless occasions. Does depression need a reason to occur? You might think it does, but while there are causes, there don't necessarily need to be reasons for depression. And like the fear and anxiety that we've discussed in the past, there is a feeling of being trapped that results from the vicious cycle of depression, despair, and the muscular tension, the anxiety and the holding on. So rather than simply talk about depression today, I'd like to talk about its relationship to anxiety and see if we can find a way of coping with it, dealing with it. The vicious cycle of anxiety and depression that can feel like a trap. And um, we talked about this with fear a couple of weeks ago. The idea that being stuck is really an illusion. In fact, we're holding on. And of course, it seems silly to suggest that on the surface. Why would I hold on to depression? If I'm sad, and filled with despair, which is hopelessness, 
and maybe loneliness. People often equate depression with loneliness. Why in the world would I hold on to that? But we do, and we call it stuck. And there may even be something enjoyable about depression and the self-pity, the feeling sorry for yourself that goes with it, especially acute depression. Chronic depression is a different story. Most depression only lasts a couple of days and then it fades like everything else. Chronic depression is a different story. And before the opening meditation here, I think I should mention that depression comes in different flavors or styles. There is a type of depression that results from physical illness. Certainly not a medical doctor, but I believe thyroid, there's a certain thyroid condition and uh, other maladies, physical maladies, illnesses that can generate a feeling of depression. Just the idea of I'm sick and I feel horrible could be depressing in and of itself. And there is, it seems, a genetic predisposition or proclivity toward depression. If there's chronic depression in your family on one side or another, it's possible, there seems to be some evidence that it can be inherited, so to speak, that it's more nature than nurture. But still, we can learn to manage it. We can learn to not hold on so tight and, and actually let go of it and stand back. And this is a this is truly the goal is higher consciousness or expanding our awareness or being interested in metaphysics or spirituality is how do I free myself from the suffering that I believe is being done to me, but which is largely self-imposed. And that's where you find the hope. Even if you're still depressed and still having difficulty uh, dealing with it, because it feels like a burden, doesn't it? It feels like a weight that you have to drag around. But what if you knew it was self-imposed or were willing to consider the likelihood that there's something in the way you're thinking, something in your attitude or your approach to life? Maybe it's as simple as our need, our very strong need, for things to be the way we want them to be. So many of our problems and so much of our heartache simply comes from the desire of things to be different than they are, a rejection of reality. Is it possible that's what depression is? A refusal to acknowledge reality, to face the truth of the way things are because you don't want it to be that way? Which is worse? Suffering the depression of holding on to what you wish they would be instead. Or experiencing the same situation without depression. How does depression improve things? You still have to deal with reality eventually. And what is that ultimate reality? That we're not the depression, we're the awareness of it. And I'll explain that more completely. And uh, we'll talk about tools and techniques 
starting with simple breathing, <laughs> slow, deep breathing, getting enough sleep, eating properly, you know, actually spending time cooking food instead of always ordering restaurant food, which is horrible food, even if it tastes yummy. A friend of mine says, poison food is yummy. It's delicious, but it's toxic. Food you make at home takes a lot more work, a lot more work. But again, if it would help you to avoid depression, because your body needs nutrition, right? And exercise and sleep and all these things that we've heard all of our lives. Could that be part of depression? Yeah, for sure. And just not breathing properly. You know, when you get sad, when you're anxious for any reason, nervous and worried, your breathing tends to get real shallow. Ever notice? People need to be reminded sometimes to breathe. I think that's what crying is. It's your body finding a way to force you to breathe. So you cry <laughs> and then you <gasps> take this deep breath. Maybe that's what it's about. The body says, well, if you're not going to breathe, I'm going to figure out a way to force you to take a slow, deep breath. All right, more on this in a minute. Thanks for being here today. And uh, we'll jump into this big time and see if we can come up with some practical tools to help you deal with it and maybe even avoid it. So close your eyes, get comfortable in your chair, your meditation pillow, the bed. Inhale a nice, big, slow, deep breath. Open your eyes now and exhale wide awake, eyes open. Eyes open now, wide awake, alert, refreshed, rested, back in the room, feeling better than before. Eyes open, wide awake, feeling better than before. Sometimes the challenge to me as a teacher is to avoid repetition. And then I remember we need repetition. So I try to find different ways of stating things, different words or different phrases or different metaphors, allegories and analogies, and stories, parables, <laughs> to avoid redundancy as much as possible so that we can walk around these issues and uh, see them from different angles and look down from above and crawl inside and till it finally gets clear to us that our whole notion of reality is something that we're holding on to for dear life because we really don't have the foggiest idea who we are why we're here, what we're for, and uh, what it's all about. We really don't. And it's so, <laughs> it's so terrifying to consider that it's just much easier to go about our daily life and affairs of producing and consuming and earning and spending, buying, acquiring, 
repairing, replacing, to what end? Oh, this will make me happy. I won't be depressed if I had a new car. I wouldn't be depressed. You think nobody ever was depressed driving their new car? Well, if I had a relationship that was better, if my spouse wasn't so bad, wrong, evil, hurtful, nasty, they're doing it to me, then I, that's why I'm depressed. No, not really. It's true that the people who love us the most are capable of saying some of the meanest and most hurtful things to us. But imagine if somebody down the block that you don't know, maybe you only met them once, you know they live ten doors down, but that's all you know about them, and out of the blue, they say the same nasty, hurtful things to you, would you feel the same? Well, of course not. Because it's not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your parents, it's not someone in your family who has your heart with whom you're so vulnerable that those words have more power. Could we exert control over that? Do we have any responsibility in that? Is that something we could account for or adjust for? Could you look at somebody who is depressing you with their behavior who you're convinced is causing your depression, could you look at them with compassion, understanding that they suffer even more than you do, and that the reason they're trying to hurt you is to let you know in a very awkward and ineffective way how much they hurt? And they're probably not aware that that's their motive. I hurt you or attempt to hurt you with cruel, nasty words and behavior because I want you to know how I feel. I want sympathy. I want love. And the way I get love is to hurt you. Well, wait a minute. That makes no sense at all. But that's what we do. I want them to hurt the way I hurt. There's a scene I often think of. It's just so profound for me. Personally, anyway, it just hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw it. It's an old movie called Breaking Away. God, it's got to be 20 years old. Breaking Away. And it's about these townies, these kids in, uh, I think it's Indianapolis. I believe that's where the University of Indiana is located. And it focuses on these kids that live in the same town as the university, but for whatever reason, Maybe because financially they just can't afford it. But there's this one boy who just loves riding bicycles. And he admires these Italian bicycle riders. And he's got posters of, you know, instead of Farrah Fawcett on the wall, uh, he's got posters of these uh, Italian uh, road racers, motor, or not motorcyclists, bicyclists. And that's what he loves to do, is jump on his bike and ride 50 miles. And uh, 
at one point he comes down, <laughs> he comes down the stairs in the morning and he's all happy and bubbly and effervescent and it's a beautiful day and he can't wait to get on his bicycle and enjoy that freedom of riding in the bike and the wind and the hair and the sun and the fragrance of the freshness of a new day and he's just so happy and his mother offers him breakfast and he says no i i don't have time for breakfast i just he grabs an apple and he says i'm going off on my ride and the camera pulls back slowly to include the father sitting at the table and he is seething he's just so angry and his audience were thinking why is he so angry why is he so upset and then he brings his fist down on the table, bangs, <laughs> bangs his fist on the breakfast table. Everything jumps up about six inches. And he yells out to the wife and the universe, why is that kid so damn happy? What right does he have to be happy? I was never happy when I was a kid. And, of course, he's not happy now. He's unhappy. He's depressed about the fact he's never been happy. And now he's angry and jealous that other people are happy. And that's part of how we get locked in the vicious cycle. We call it stuck. But like I said a couple of weeks ago in the show about fear, you know, letting go of stuck whether you call it fear or anxiety or depression, it's all the same thing. We're holding on. It's a vicious cycle where we don't want to release the justification for our right to be depressed. Look at my life. I'm miserable. I'm unhappy. This is not what I expected. This is not what I was promised. This is not what I want. I think John Lennon said reality is what happens while you're making other plans. But it is reality. And if we're going to avoid depression and put it down quickly and elegantly when we become depressed, we have to accept reality. We have to accept the truth of things and give up this silly juvenile, really, it is, isn't it? Need for things to be other than they are. No matter how painful that may be. The fact that life is painful and that we all have problems and we all suffer heartache from time to time is so evident <laughs> and so obvious and self-evident that in Buddhist philosophy, it's the first noble truth. You will know suffering. Imagine creating a philosophy and then deciding that it should have an order. And where do we begin with this grand philosophy of reality? Well, we begin with number one, you will know suffering. Life is suffering. Well, that's pretty damn profound right there and, and something most of us really don't want to admit. Life, turn on the TV. Every commercial is telling you, 
You don't have to suffer. We've got a pill for that. You don't have to suffer. You just have to save $30 a month on this insurance instead of that insurance. <laughs> and then you'll be happy. You don't have to suffer. You just need to buy this product or engage this service. There's just something missing in your life. What if there is nothing missing in our lives? And then I'm reminded of the wisdom prayer about, or the serenity prayer, so-called, to accept what you cannot change, to change what you can, obviously, but to accept what you cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference. There is a rub, right? The wisdom, where is that interface between what I can change and what I can't. I'll tell you this, if we're going to change to improve or modify conditions, acceptance has to come first. You have to accept the truth and the reality of the miserable situation we find ourselves in. The suffering needs to be accepted and acknowledged as real and true before you change it. The idea of I'm going to change it and then accept the improvement. I'm going to delay acceptance, embracing reality. I'm going to put that off until after I fix it is part of the trap. You've got to acknowledge it first. Start here. This is reality. I'm I'm feeling miserable. I, I There's a person in my life right now who is going through divorce, separation. In other words, there's children involved. So there is a, a divorce between husband and wife. There's custody issues with the kids and what they're going through. There's a house change and a job change all at once. Talk about change. This individual, this individual saw his marriage blow up, lost his kids, not completely. They're pretty amicable, so there's visitation and all of that, but it's not the same. You still wake up at least 50% of the time with no kids in the house. And then moving to another house, and then a job change on top of that. Wow, that's pretty stressful. That could create a real blend of excitement and depression. What are you going to hold on to? Well, you don't need to hold on to the excitement, the promise, the, the hope that things could get better. That doesn't go in the emotional baggage. What we hold on to is the depression based on the anxiety that comes from not knowing what's going to happen next. That's what depression is made of. That's what it comes out of. I've got a, a little tip sheet that I wrote up six or eight years ago for a seminar I did on depression that I'm going to consult here just to make sure that... I just want to read through this, make sure I've hit on every point. And then in about... Uh, Eight or ten minutes, we'll go to Q&A. So if you have comment, questions, boy, I'd really love to hear from you.
So here are a series of bullet points that I wrote down from this seminar back in the day. Depression, first of all, to define it, it's sadness, it's despair, which is hopelessness, and numbness. There is a sense of numbness that goes with sadness. It's funny that not feeling, being numb and not feeling hurts. Isn't that weird? That it hurts not to feel. Well, how could that be? Seems like a contradiction. If you couldn't feel anything, you wouldn't feel the hurt. But the truth of it is, and you know what I'm talking about once I bring it up, right? Times you felt sort of numb. There was an ache that went along with it. You know something's wrong. Uh, there's a link between depression and anxiety, as I've uh, as I've been saying. Anxiety promotes rumination and worry. Rumination's a good word. Many people presume rumination means simply pondering, or reflection, or contemplation, or thinking things through. And I suppose that could be one of the connotations of the word, but clinically what rumination means is turning over the negativity again and again and again with largely unanswerable questions like why me? That's a real typical form of rumination. Why me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. What is the cause of this? Why is this happening? And the answer is because I'm holding on because I'm anxious and confused. And what is anxiety but confusion and unawareness and, and ignorance? All fear is fear of the unknown. But we don't know that. <laughs> we, we don't know that all fear and stress and anxiety is what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And rumination tends to focus on the past with the why me and avoid the present and maybe projecting the negativity like a long, dark, distorted shadow into the future. This is interesting. On my little list here, I've got a bullet point that says, Rumination focuses on the past and asks why me. Worry focuses on the future and asks what if. That's interesting. Also, depression has its ebb and flow. It, um, it's not consistent. You know, some days it's better than others. or some hours it's not so bad. And it becomes sort of a melancholy, kind of a bittersweet sadness. But there's something satisfying about it. It's odd, isn't it? It's like a conflict, a paradox that there's a certain sense of uh, comfort. And I think, I think it comes from the fact that it's so familiar. When depression becomes familiar, it can become sort of a cozy place to go. Even though it hurts and you don't like it, it's painful, it's lonely, it's hopeless. But it sure is familiar. 
Maybe that's another reason we find it sort of a cozy place to go. It's possible to be unaware of the fact that you are anxious or depressed. Again, awareness is the antidote. So unawareness would be the problem. Unawareness, again, is just another word for anxiety, stress, and fear. We think it's about danger. It's not. It's about confusion and ignorance. Though depression can lie to you and bully you, most of the causes have nothing to do with brain chemistry. So don't be deceived by the popular use of antidepressants. One of the side effects of antidepressants is depression. Now, how crazy is that? One of the big untold secrets, because television, and for that matter, print media as well, is supported largely by the pharmaceutical industry. They're prevented from, for obvious reasons, their own financial interest, from running stories about the number of suicides and murder-suicides that are committed by people on antidepressants. It's taboo in the society. You're not allowed to talk about it. And if it is reported, it's like, well, the shooter was depressed. So it's understandable that they would be on antidepressants. I mean, you would think antidepressants would be prescribed only by a experienced and qualified psychiatrist, but no, an internist, a general practitioner, any medical doctor pretty much can prescribe antidepressants. And they're so popular, they've been used so frequently by so many people that they're actually in the ecosystem. When it rains, it rains antidepressants. I know, sounds like I'm making that up. Sounds crazy. And you can say, well, it would have to be micro, super small amounts. Okay, I'll grant you it's very, <laughs> given the volume of water, when it rains hard, for example, or the oceans, yeah, that's a lot of water. But still, imagine there's antidepressants in your tap water. And antibiotics, too, for that matter, but another topic for another day. So it's justified by people who do understand this by saying, well, the benefit outweighs the risk. And so if the downside of antidepressants is that a few people get murdered and a few people commit suicide or a few airplane pilots just fly an airplane into the side of a mountain or ditch it in the middle of the ocean and nobody has any idea why anybody would do such a thing. Suicide is one thing, but taking 300 innocent people with you or these mass shootings, some of them are clearly politically motivated or like yesterday, racially motivated. But so many of them seem to be for no reason at all. Oh, well, the shooter was depressed. 
the headline is the shooter was on antidepressants. And if you look on the label or read deep into that literature, you'll see murder-suicide is one of the side effects. More so with some antidepressants than others, but nevertheless, that is not a solution. And if you take some, for example, serotonin reuptake inhibitor to keep serotonins and other neurotransmitters artificially high in your body, the truth is that you're not only dulling your awareness of the depression, if I can say it that way, but dulling your awareness of every other feeling. So you end up being sort of a zombie, you know, walking around in a trance where, yeah, I feel better, meaning I don't feel the pain of the depression, but I also don't feel much of anything else. And with antidepressants, it often becomes worse. So enough about brain chemistry. And when the doctor says, oh, you're missing this chemical in your brain, and this pill will supplement that. No, not with most antidepressants. Most depression comes from the failure to find meaning and purpose in your life, especially in employment and career. And then there's other factors we talked about, like your lifestyle, the frenetic pace, stress, driving too much on the freeways and highways, commuting, long commutes, very, very stressful, can be very depressing. Um, a lack of social contact. I think it was the pandemic and the quarantine was very depressing for people. I mentioned the poor diet, insufficient sleep, a sedentary lifestyle. Just excessive use of social media you might say, oh, well, I do have social contact through TikTok and <laughs> Instagram. The more social media we use, the less social connection we have. It's, again, paradoxical. Uh, cigarette smoking, vaping, uh, nicotine can lead to depression. And of course, chronic illness, being sick for a long period of time. And there's more, but I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, again, everybody has experienced depression at some time or another. So it's something we all have in common. We know how it feels. We know how it lies to us and says, I'm never going away. And you know it will go away because it always has gone away, but it doesn't feel like it's going to ever, ever go away. So we all know the experience.